0: This episode of Books and Bulba is brought to you by HBO.
1: The finalists for the 2020 HBO APA Visionary Short Film Competition have been announced. HBO Visionaries will be celebrating its fourth class of emerging Asian and Pacific Islander American filmmakers on Friday, September 25th during the virtual Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival.
0: Tune in at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, on Friday, September 25th, 2020, at www.hbovisionaries.com to see this year's visionaries, watch their films, and also see some familiar faces. And for those of you filmmakers interested in taking part in next year's HBO HBA Visionaries contest, you can also find out more information about the program, its official rules, and keep an eye out for the opening of submissions for the 2021 competition for the opportunity to have your short film considered for HBO and HBO Max. Again, the program is taking place at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Friday, September 25th, 2020 at www.hbovisionaries.com. All three Visionary 2020 shorts will also be available to stream on HBO Max on Tuesday, September 29th. And now the show.
1: You're listening to... Whoa! Whoa. Potluck. Potluck.
0: And welcome back to Books and Bulba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Matthew,
1: and I'm Rira Yu.
0: And welcome to our mid-month book news episode for September 2020. Woo! <laughs> Rira, how's it going? Can you believe we can actually see the sky again?
1: Um, I don't know. I've been inside my apartment for, <laughs> for like so long. I've been, I've been checking my phone, seeing like how the air quality has been. And it's just been awful for the last couple of days. And I think, was it yesterday when it was actually okay for people to go outside? It said air is air is okay for everyone else, except for those who are, um, compromised in their health. So I was <laughs> like, cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those of you who've never been through a wildfire season, especially with the wildfire so close, um, the sky literally turns like red and there's ash falling from the sky. It's pretty apocalyptic. Um, this is probably the second, maybe third time I've experienced this. Um, the first time was when I was in San Diego um, for college. We had a fire that was really close and class was actually canceled for like four days.
1: Yeah, Um <laughs> Yeah, I have some friends who live in the Bay area and it's been pretty bad over there as well. Oh, well. But we are safe even though we're really close to the fires. <laughs> I think I think there was like two fires in the town that I live in. So, yeah. I, I was just like, okay, I guess I'm in the evacuation zone, but, but like The town that you uh, live in is
0: pretty like it's pretty big and the thing is for it to get to where we live, it, it would have to burn through like At least a couple miles of residential.
1: Well, this just goes to like, just to say, have an emergency kit. Always be prepared. (laughs) Like whether you live in the West Coast or East Coast, I mean, there's hurricanes, there's blizzards. Just be prepared.
0: I know. I should have a bug out bag, especially since we live in earthquake country. Um, But I don't. I really should, though.
1: You really should, considering that you're a native of (laughs) California.
0: I think that's why. You know how, um, like, when I was on the East Coast, I would freak out more about hurricanes than the people that lived there.
1: Yeah. Uh, like, my old apartment in New York was right by the Hudson. Oh. And uh, there was that really big hurricane. I forgot the name of it. Sandy? But was it Sandy? I, I don't remember. Sandy but... was
0: the first one I experienced when I was living there. It was in 2011.
1: Okay. I, I think it was Sandy. Yeah. But, um, like, my one of my roommates and I, we went to New Jersey. Uh, during that but our (laughs) other roommate was like nah I'll stay here like (laughs) she's like I have enough food and water I'll I'll just stay here and we were just like but our apartment is right by the river Um, (laughs) like it's probably not a good idea but she was okay I think it's because she's from Singapore and she's like used to like torrential uh, uh, like yeah torrential typhoons yeah she she was just like hurricane it's just a drizzle. It doesn't <laughs> like we're fine. Well, well, wherever you guys are, I hope you're all safe and yeah. wearing your masks and uh, taking precautions. Um, but, you know, we're going to move on to book news because there's a couple of uh, great books that are coming out in the next year or so.
0: Yeah. As always, we're going to start out with Publishing news, um, Rira, why don't you take the first one?
1: All right. Wednesday Books Acquired, North American rights to Three Kisses, One Midnight, a collaboration book by Roshani Chosky, Sanya Minon, and Evelyn Skye. Told in the tradition of Let It Snow, the book is set in a town reminiscent of Stars Hollow and follows three witchy best friends and their romantic quest involving love potions that may or may not work, and true love's kiss before the clock strikes midnight. Publication is set for 2022.
0: Now, do you know what it means by the tradition of let it snow?
1: I don't, I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, but this sounds, this sounds really cool. Um, I'm all up for more books about witches and best friends. And, uh, this sounds like a great team. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it.
0: Should be fun. Um. Next up, Underline bought World Rights to The Holiday Switch by Tiff Marcello. Uh in this debut YA romance, a bookish Filipino-American girl with a secret blog works at an inn in the Finger Lakes during the holidays to earn cash for college. When she crosses paths with the innkeeper's cute nephew and they accidentally switch phones, she learns he has a secret of his own that might draw them together. Publication is set for fall 2021.
1: This sounds really cute. I'm all for uh stories about mix-up mix-up phones and <laughs> Um, I think there should be more romances where, um, like, characters fall in love through social media <laughs> or through texting. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of You've Got Mail, and I love that rom com <laughs> so much. Uh, next up, Crown acquired the middle grade novel Obi Is Man Enough by transgender Korean American author, athlete, and activist Skylar Baylor. Obi knew that his gender transition would cause waves, but he didn't think he'd have to give up his swimming coach, the pool where he grew up, and the teammates who were his best friends. As Obi works to prove he can hold his own against the fastest boys in the pool, he'll also have to contend with new friendships, bullies, and his biggest competition, himself. Publication is planned for fall 2021. This sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that there's like an own voices story about um, a trans boy for middle grade. That's that sounds like. Yeah, a
1: for good middle combo. grade. That's yeah. really great, especially for Asian American representation. I feel like I've I have not seen that many transgender uh, stories around Korean Americans.
0: Yeah. Uh, next up, Berkeley bought world rights to two novels by Sri Lankan author Amanda Jaitisa. Uh, The first My Sweet Girl is set for 2021 and is a twisty and compulsive own voices thriller. In it, a young woman discovers her dead roommate in their San Francisco apartment. The police believe the roommate never existed, but the woman is convinced there's something else going on. Something related to her childhood in Sri Lanka.
1: This sounds like some get out shit. Like (laughs) Like I mean, listeners of this podcast will know that I'm a really big thriller and crime enthusiast. So I, I'm really looking forward to reading this. Yeah. Um, just like the premise of the police believing that the roommate didn't exist and just gaslighting. Sounds, sounds great. All right. Next up, Flatiron Books preempted Jenny Hui Zhang's debut novel, Five Chinese Hanged in Idaho. The book is set in the American West circa the 1880s against the backdrop of the Chinese Exclusion Act, an 1882 law barring most Chinese citizens from immigrating to the U.S. The novel follows a Chinese girl who is forced to reinvent herself as three different people in order to survive.
0: Yeah. I don't know if there's many books about this era. Um, It's an era rife with drama, both political and like in general. So I'm glad to see more people digging into it. There's no release date yet, huh? Uh
1: no, not yet, but it might be announced uh, within the next week. Cool. So stay tuned for that.
0: Yeah. Uh next up, Harper Collins bought Vivian Zhao's debut middle grade graphic novel duology, Atana, which follows the adventures of Atana and her friends Ren and Cosmos, who are respectively a mermaid, a firebird and a witch, as Atana searches for answers to her identity she becomes entangled with the mysterious and powerful witch queen who may hold the answers to her past publication is slated for fall 2023 you know sometimes you just want a straight up fantasy adventure to like cleanse your palate of all like the stuff that's happening in the world you know
1: a mermaid a firebird and a witch sounds like a great trio yeah more more books with uh, fantastical creatures as best friends please mm-hmm. All right, next up, HarperCollins' Quill Tree Bought All Kinds of Other by Lambda Award finalist James C. The coming-of-age YA novel follows two boys, one who is cis and one who is trans, who transfer to the same LA high school hoping for a fresh start after experiencing hardships at their previous schools. But even as romance sparks between them, the boys must face the fact that leaving their old lives behind will not be as easy as they thought. Publication is slated for summer 2021. Wow. We have another book that, yeah. that focuses on transgender characters. That's great.
0: Yeah. Congrats to James on the book deal. And last up, Barefoot Bought World Rights to Whole Whale by debut author Karen Yin. Illustrated by Naleki Verhoff. 100 wacky animals come to play in the pages of the book. Can they find a way to make space to include everyone? Publication is set for spring 2021. Yeah, congrats to Karen. I'm uh, looking forward to um, finding out what this book is about in 2021.
1: And we're going to move on to book news. Uh, so the long list for National Book Awards was announced uh, this week. Um, and we do have some Asian and Asian American authors who were nominated. So i very excited for that. So let's go through the nominees. So congratulations to Tracy Chee. Uh, she was longlisted for a National Book Award for Young People's Literature, and her book, We Are Not Free, follows 14 teenage narr- narrators whose lives have been changed by uh, the forced removal of people of Japanese ancestry from their homes during World War II, so Japanese-American internment. Uh, the book includes photographs and documents from the time period, and um, I've heard wonderful things about this book for those of you who are wondering why Tracy's name is familiar she's the author of the reader series so she went from fantasy to uh historical fiction totally different like total opposites of of the fiction end
0: yeah i mean you don't have to write about one thing the entire time
1: no of course not it's <laughs> but you know it's like i always wonder with authors who um bounce between genres you know because mm. you have to like switch gears but it sounds like she did research considering that she has like photographs and documents and i think it's really interesting that she has 14 narrators that's you know that's a huge cast
0: yeah i can't imagine what that writing process was like to um keep 14 voices um distinct and in your head but congrats to tracy on the nomination. Um, On the long list for the National Book Award for Fiction, we have A Burning by Megha Majumdar, uh, which is her debut novel. The book is about the protagonist Javan who gets accused of collaborating with a terrorist on social media um, via a Facebook post. And is Majumdar's um, critique on the promise of social mobility through technology in India, um, and also the despair felt by those betrayed by the promise of digital democracy and failed by their nation's justice systems.
1: And it also observes class and religious divisions in India. Lots of uh great commentary, very important conversations around this book. Um, uh, I think I think it was an indie next book as well. So it like obviously all of the books that were long listed are uh, books that were critically acclaimed, but I've heard really great things about a burning.
0: Yeah. Um also on the list is Leave the World Behind by Rahman Alam. Um Leave the World Behind is about a Brooklyn couple, Amanda and Clay, who head out on a family vacation to Long Island, but their trip turns uneasy when the homeowners seek refuge following blackouts in New York City. As the world outside moves towards greater unrest, the group faces their perceptions about each other and the very concept of safety.
1: This sounds like a literary thriller, <laughs> which uh, is definitely my genre. And the last book that was nominated for um for the National Book Award for... Fiction is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. The book follows the protagonist, Willis Wu, who plays a bit player in a procedural cop show, but dreams of being Kung Fu Guy, the most respected role that anyone who looks like him can attain. And the book is full of Hollywood tropes and Asian stereotypes, especially in entertainment. For those of you who have been with us from the beginning, uh, we have read Charles Yu's other book, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe.
0: Yeah, this is his second novel. And I think he wrote this between this book and his first book. Um, I think he had a stint as the I think he was the story editor or the story designer for Westworld. So I feel like he's taking his you know experience working in, in Hollywood to put into this story, which is cool.
1: Yeah, spill the tea, Charles. <laughs>
0: Yeah, congrats to all the nominees for um the NBA Award for Fiction. Um moving on. On the National Book Awards long list for poetry, we have Obit by Victoria Chang, um DMZ Colony by Dongmi Choi, and The Galleons by Rick Barat. Um, and then on the long list for translated literature, we have Tokyo Weno Station by Yumiri, um, translated from Japanese by Morgan Gillis, uh, which is about a ghost narrator. Um, Kazu, who visits the park in which he last lived as a homeless man. As the book unfolds, the reader learns more about his earlier years and the ways in which Japan's modernization pushed many to the margins of society, where they were subsequently ignored. Uh,
1: so, this book starts from like the 1964 Tokyo Olympics and pretty much to like modern day society. Um, and also, it also mentions the 2011 tsunami. Um, yeah, yeah. wasn't it Wasn't the Olympics supposed to be in Tokyo this year?
0: It was 2020, and it's not happening. I mean, I think it's still officially postponed, but I don't know. I don't see it happening um, next year either.
1: That's, I mean, that's like so terrible for the the athletes, you know, because there's like there's an age cap for a lot of the sports. And the final book that got nominated for translated literature is Kim Ji-young, born 1982 by Cho Damju, translated from Korean by Jamie Chang. This title sold over a million copies and has been translated into 12 languages, and it's about a 30-something-year-old millennial woman, Kim Ji-young, who recently left her white collar desk job in order to take care of her newborn daughter full-time. Uh, but she quickly begins to exhibit strange symptoms that alarm her husband and her in-laws as she impersonates the voices of other women, alive and even dead. And her husband takes her to a psychiatrist, and the story is told from um, told from the perspective of her in a psychiatrist appointment. Wow. I'm really excited to... Read this book. It came out in 2016 in Korea in the heat of the Me Too movement. Uh, in 2016, a woman was murdered uh, in Gangnam Station, and it created like this wave of women who came forward talking about the patriarchy, how women are, um, how women are facing a lot of discrimination and a lot of pressures um, to have families to give up their careers and a lot of just hate violence and um yeah like i'm really glad that it's finally been translated yeah because it took so many years for this book to be translated there's <laughs> there's even a movie based on this book already
0: wow yeah it sounds like um i don't know i'm getting some maybe like light horror vibes from it like the like psychological thriller
1: I know a lot of um, celebrities who read this book, particularly women celebrities. They got a lot of uh, backlash for reading this book. They got harassed online for and being accused of of being a radical feminist. And <laughs> it, it's just so like it's ridiculous. And um, I'm really glad that this book opened up conversations around Me Too and kind of. Per- like provided a platform for people to discuss really uncomfortable subjects. Um, but yeah, like I'm really excited to read it.
0: Um, all right. Next up, uh, Riva, tell me what happened with the Starwatch 2020 honorees.
1: Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I was off Twitter for maybe like a week. And the moment I logged on, like so much happened around this piece of news. So Publishers Weekly announced their annual Watch 2020 honorees list on September 15th. Uh, the Starwatch is an annual publishing and bookselling award that honors professionals who spark innovation and um, create new ways to promote books in publishing, pretty much. And uh, Everywhere Bookfest was acknowledged, but only one of the co-directors was honored. Um, That was Melanie Conklin. And uh, her fellow co-directors, Ellen O. and Christina Suntornvat, were ignored. They were not mentioned. And the omission was definitely not missed by Twitter. And after a lot of pushback, uh, Publishers Weekly made a quiet correction and... uh, didn't release any public apology or an or acknowledgement. It would they just, you know, didn't do anything other than just write like an end note a footnote. They're just hoping people don't notice.
0: Like, oh no, it was there all the time. What are you talking about?
1: And of course there's been a lot of conversation around it about how um women of color, their accomplishments are always erased. And how like even though the the omission was unintentional. It did a lot of damage.
0: I mean, I feel like this is something that you would think companies would be more mindful of, especially social media people who are in essence PR professionals to be able to predict like certain backlashes. And I, I mean, I've also had my own like social media faux pause, like doing social media for other organizations, um, especially in the Asian American space where like identity and who identifies as like, certain um communities is not as rigid as you would think you know we're at an age where the way we talk about things is changing and also the ways that we confront our own prejudices and subconscious like biases those will and should be called out and when it happens it's up to the person who did it to like make a sincere apology and pledge to change you know i think um, the worst thing you can do is just plead ignorance at this point, because ignorance is not an excuse anymore. You know, everyone's ignorant. That's a given. But what are you going to do about it? Right.
1: Yeah. Especially after, uh, you know, the the Black Lives Matter and George Floyd uh, protests. uh publishing has said that they're going to like revamp their strategies to promote diversity more and to be inclusive and stuff like this happens. And it just seems so insincere and, um, you, you just begin to wonder like, are they going to actually, uh, are are they actually going to reflect on their biases? Like you said, and what's really, um, so Melanie Conklin, who was uh, the co-director that was acknowledged uh, in the from the very beginning, uh, she explained on Twitter uh, what what happened. I guess uh, so. She put all three names into like the submissions for for the Star Watch honorees, and like a couple weeks ago, her publisher announced that you know she has been selected, and she thought she just assumed that all 3 of them were nominated because she submitted all 3 names and of course that didn't happen and she um like she was obviously furious about um about her colleagues being ignored and um her one of the tweets that she wrote was I'm still thinking about how I, as a white lady, could not imagine my co-directors being left off of an awards list, so I trusted a publishing institution when I should have known better. My name has never been erased, so I couldn't imagine it. That's privilege. And the fact that Ellen O. and Christina, they were the ones who came up with the idea of Everywhere Fest. I mean, Melanie did a lot of work for this festival, uh, but it was Ellen O. who you know kind of rallied up the volunteers you know like because she is one of the founders of we need diverse books and um yeah and the every everywhere book fest like it had such a wonderful diverse lineup uh you had writers of color you had queer authors uh it, you know like that wouldn't have happened if they didn't trust Ellen O. And also like Christine, <laughs> Christina, Christina, yeah. who's been like a big advocate for uh, diversity as well. It, you know, it it's kind of like a slap in the face for Publishers Weekly to do this.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no denying the um, contributions of Ellen O. and Christina um uh, for this festival. And I guess for an organization that, presents itself as like the publication of record for this industry um
1: yeah we get our book news from publishers weekly they are our official source yeah so yeah i think
0: they know better and and i'm sympathetic in the fact that like you can't control like you have to trust that your social media people knows what they're doing um because a lot of times the people who are in charge of marketing and pr and the are are people that like my especially in these like legacy um trades are probably not as versed in digital media. So they're really trusting their, you know, associates to know what they're doing. And I mean, this is something that is probably a personal mistake because they didn't look deeply enough or they weren't thinking or they were just on autopilot. But you would think that if the submission had three names, that you include all three names.
1: Yeah, you should just <laughs> you know? copy like you could have just copied and so pasted it. What happened I, there, right? What happened? Also, like, you know, I'm sympathetic as well because there were a lot of honorees listed. It's a lot of names to go through, but, you yeah. know, the damage, the damage is done. Yeah. Uh, I actually do want to read some of uh, Ellen O's and Christina Suntornvat's uh, tweets because I think they really hammer, uh, like, they really bring the whole issue home. Uh, so Ellen O wrote... I think it is so important to publicly acknowledge when harm is done. While I appreciate the great honor it is to be recognized on this list, and I will happily celebrate all the wonderful honorees, I have decided to decline this honor for myself. Quietly slipping our names onto the list after erasing our contributions in the first place was wrong. That's what's been happening to BIPOC for years. We can't let it slide, we have to call it out. While it was just a mistake with no intent to cause harm, we have to look at the impact. That impact was deeply hurtful, especially now. And for over 24 hours before we, we received a private apology, it felt deliberate, centering whiteness over the hard work of women of color. It was just an accident, just an oversight, and yet it hurt not just us, but all the BIPOC volunteers who saw their hard work erased also. And the slap in the face was the way they tried to fix the mistake without acknowledgement of the harm they did. Yeah, pretty hmm. <laughs> pretty much what what we said, slap in the face and, you know, yeah. it should have been a public acknowledgement and yes ellen o did decline the honor but ellen o pushed uh christina to take the honor because at least one woman of color should be acknowledged for for the work um
0: yeah i have a feeling they didn't realize what they were dealing with too because ellen o and christina suntorn so are both like prolific on book twitter it's not to say like they shouldn't have done it because of that but it's probably bad luck that they did it to ellen o specifically
1: yeah I mean, like, Christina, she mentions um, just how exhausting it is when, like, when stuff like this happens. Like, when people misspell your name or fumble, uh, like, fumble your name during an award ceremony and just don't really take the effort to, to, like, just to do to do the minimum things you know yeah and just how this was supposed to be a moment of celebration you know they did work really hard for this and it had a lasting impact and just you know like even though they added their names later it you know it takes away from from that victory so yeah yeah
0: so i guess congrats to um ever book fest i um, sorry that this should happen to you but uh Thank it should for, not have happened. It's great that the festival is being honored, um, albeit in this really uncomfortable way. Um, but they do deserve it. Um,
1: yeah, I think it was one of the first uh, virtual book festivals. So it really was a pioneer uh, for, for COVID and how to like promote authors who debuted in 2020. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely deserve to be acknowledged. And we're so sorry that this happened to you guys. And I hope that uh Publishers Weekly and other um publishing industry professionals will, you know, learn from their mistakes and, you know, really educate themselves on on how to move forward and not make this happen again.
0: Yeah. Wait, why are we sorry?
1: I'm sorry because <laughs> All of the volunteers and, you know, Ellen and Christina, they did not deserve this. And, you know, if if Publishers Weekly is, is not going to publicly apologize, then I will. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Um, and with that, that'll do it for our mid-month check-in for September 2020. But yeah, before we go, uh, Rira, why don't you remind us what we're reading for the month of September?
1: We are reading "Minor Feelings: An Asian American Reckoning" by Kathy Park Hong. It's a nonfiction book. It's a collection of essays that explore Asian American identity and our privilege. And um, I I know that a couple of people on Goodreads has have already read it and uh, loved it. So I'm really excited to dive into this book. And if you have, and if you haven't uh, started reading, you do have some time. And um, if you have any thoughts about it please share on our goodreads forums we love reading people's thoughts
0: yeah looking forward to discussing that book with you um, on our next episode and uh thank you so much for compiling the book news again for this month
1: i'm, I'm nodding but i <laughs> i just remembered that no one can see me nod uh
0: <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to this episode of books and um, stay safe keep reading and we'll see you next time bye everyone bye Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to Booksandboba and and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to Booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website PodcastPotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Spruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation. The good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallspruce.com. Peace. Peace.